What's up, everybody? Welcome into Blazers Uprise Live. This is the final Blazers Uprise Live until the preseason is underway. As next Monday, instead of our normal episode of Blazers Uprise Live, we will have a post-game show after oh, game yeah. one of the preseason. The end of that game should be right around 9.30, so normal time next Monday, but we'll be talking about a preseason game. We'll be talking about some actual Blazer basketball action. So... This is the last one until games are underway. Training camp's underway. We're going to talk about that. And uh, we'll take some questions. And this is definitely going to be a shorter stream than last uh, Monday. Uh, that was a two and a half hour stream. So Almost we're going to keep hours. this. Was it three hours? Yeah. yeah it, it, 257 or so. Yeah. I, it was extremely long. So we're not going to be live for three hours tonight. Sorry for those of you who would actually watch a whole thing like that. We appreciate you. But... Uh, yeah, so we'll just talk training camp and maybe some quotes from the players and then take some questions. So, Eric, how's the Thursday been for you? Uh, it's all right. Uh, kind of painful not being able to play in my rec league game tonight, but other than that, doing good. Yeah, you still uh, <clears throat> down and out? Yeah, I was told I couldn't play for two weeks by my doctor, and yeah. Oh, I mean, my, my knee's still sore enough to where I probably couldn't have played anyway if I wanted to, but yeah. Could be could be worse. Yeah. Two weeks isn't two weeks isn't too yeah. bad. So. Avoided any structural damage, but um, I've joked around with many people that uh, my transformation to being an old man basketball player is now complete since I now have to wear knee brace when I play. So Yeah, see, you're now at the point where you got to get excited when you hear two weeks. Only two weeks? <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah, um, yeah I, I am not looking forward to those days. Um, but, I mean, th those will probably hit me sooner than they hit you, to be honest, with the way my knees are. So Anyway, let's not talk about knees since this is a <laughs> Portland Trailblazers stream. Uh, what's going on, chat? I hope... Your days are going well. Uh, shout out to anybody going to FanFest. I am not going to go to FanFest. Uh, FanFest is on Saturday. So, are they televising that? Do you know? Uh, I haven't heard anything yet about that. I feel like, hmm, it would be on route. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, shout out to you if you're going. Um, I well. won't be there. I got probably. lots of other sports this weekend. Probably coincides with the Mariner game, right? Mariners playing in the evening, and that, I think, is in the middle of the day. So, my Mariners are in a playoff run for the first time in my life, basically. So, uh, <laughs> or at least for the first time since I've ever been paying attention. So, I got them, um, got Niners Seahawks on Sunday, and have Blazers on Monday. So, this is like the first time where... All three of my favorite professional teams are playing meaningful games at the same time. Actually, the Blazers games are meaningful, but considering our coverage of them, they are kind of meaningful. Mm. And, you know, we're streaming around them and everything. So still meaningful, even though it's preseason action and we'll have you covered. And especially this season when we get to uh, kind of evaluate some things they're doing on the court, because it'll really be our first taste of what Chauncey Billups will be trying to do. So even though it's a preseason game, man, I mean... There's still going to be a ton of stuff to evaluate from it in terms of Nurkic playing up at the screen. I don't know if Dame's going to play. He's kind of taking it easy going into training camp, but the offense uh, will be our first look at that. So it's not going to be everything, nowhere close, uh, but it should be our first taste of new actions, new schemes, new sets, just 
a breath of fresh air uh, that we should be able to experience uh, on Monday with that first preseason game. And also something to look forward to this year is the training camp battles between the four players, uh, Quinn Cook, Dennis Smith Jr., Marquise uh, Chris, and Patrick Patterson all battling it out for one, possibly two spots on the roster, which is something that we've had a set roster going into most training camps other than and we usually our training invitees are scrubs that we know aren't going to make the team. So um, that'll be fun dynamic to the games to see how those guys progress yeah yeah for sure so if dame doesn't play i would start dennis smith jr the blazers released a social media clip of him looking pretty good at least in the clip that they showed it was only three plays but i mean if that man can hit threes and he can play some defense and he can attack the rim he's athletic uh then he's an interesting guy that i think has a good chance at making the team and then of course you got marquise chris who we need a backup big man so it'll be interesting to see that battle play out and if the blazers use one or two uh one or two roster spots on training camp guys they have to use at least one they can use up to two it sounded like they were only going to use one just from like listening to Olshay and kind of I don't remember exactly what he said but I remember coming away from it thinking they're only going to take one of these four guys but I mean I'd love to have Dennis Smith Jr. and Marquise Chris on the team yeah, I agree with you. Those would be my two choices as well as of right now. I mean, obviously things could change seeing them play. The only concern with Chris is if he's not fully back uh, physically, I'd probably pass on him if that was the case. But I agree with you. It seemed like the tone of media day was that they were only looking to fill one spot because that's all they're required to do. But then it doesn't really make sense to me why they have like – two guys each at two different positions and it's seemingly something they do need an emergency guard and they do need a third string center so i don't understand why they would have two different positions like that if they weren't going to use both spots or maybe it's a wait and see like if if two guys stand out a lot we'll use both spots if only one guy stands out we'll just use one i don't know i guess it might not be set in stone yet yeah, yeah, so we'll keep you guys posted as that develops. Uh, of course, we got a week off <clears throat> after the first preseason That's action, so which weird. I don't really like. Yeah. I wish it was a little bit more evenly spaced I'm, out. I'm going to turn this but, light off behind me. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you got to do. Um, <laughs> but then the week after, the 11th, 13th, 15th, are the second, third, and fourth preseason games for the Portland Trailblazers. So we will have no episodes of Blazers Are Present Live. We will just have post-game shows that next week on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, should be around, going live around 8.30, 9.30 p.m. We're going to do preseason post-game shows right here on Blazers Uprise Live. And then, of course, get back to our more normal schedule as we hit the regular season. But post-game shows on the main channel and a 3.30 p.m. start time for Blazers Uprise Live for picks against the spread uh, and all that type of stuff. So what's the first thing that you want to get into today, Eric, as far as topics? Let's talk about the coaching. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think I'm going or exaggerating by saying every player seems to love what's happening so far with the coaching. Um. They love the way they're being coached. They love the schemes they're implementing. They love the temperament in which Chauncey is teaching them and not, you know, 
I don't know, like when you're like trying to install like discipline and accountability and stuff, sometimes that can come across as you being really strict and like a, that kind of coach, like a Jim Boylan type when, when he gets to Chicago and all the players hate him because he's just like making them do all these extra things and they just can't stand practicing for him. But it seems like not only do these players all respect him, but he's also getting what a strict coach would get out of them. Um, so I just love everything I'm hearing from all the players being interviewed. They all seem to say the right things. Um, I love what Billup says when he gets interviewed. And I, I don't know, it's just, it's so weird having this dynamic versus the the old dynamic from uh, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's just a breath of fresh air. And I mean, it just seems like there's an excitement around the, the team and a spark uh, for the team that was needed with a new coach, you know, I, a lot of the stuff I'm just imagining how much it would be different if Terry Stoss was the coach. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the team wouldn't feel as energized and as, mm-hmm. thu- and as enthusiastic if Terry Stotts was back. I don't know how anybody, even if they're the biggest Stotts fan, can just kind of listen to the players speak through training camp and listen to Chauncey speak and sit here and say that the Blazers made a mistake by getting rid of Terry Stotts for him. And that's something that I haven't really heard, which is crazy because you had a lot of people that said it would be a drastic mistake to get rid of Terry Stotts and it would be a failure for the organization and just a horrible thing for them to do because Stotts is great and all this type of stuff. I'm not hearing those same people say that it was a mistake to bring in Chauncey and I don't know how anybody could just feel the the energy from the team the team is releasing a lot of clips from practice and whatnot and you know Nas and Dame talking with each other and uh you know Chauncey's interviews and all that and it's not something that's like easy to put in words it's just kind of a feeling man it's just this year feels like it's going to be different and previous years have kind of felt like that but now you have something to point to where like you know it's going to be different because this team is going to be playing a completely different style of basketball that I think will be better for this team so I'm just going into next season like the sky's the limit I um I mean it's the biggest coaching upgrade in the league I don't think anybody can even really argue that uh so I'm just ready to get the action underway and really see what it's going to look like because we're talking about this, we haven't even seen what it's going to look like yet. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, it's hard to even temper expectations at this point. I just am super excited for this season, just listening to Chauncey talk. And it just seems like there's a really good feeling around the team right now. Well, like Ben says in chat, we're putting huge expectations on a first-year coach. But, like, I don't feel like it's unwarranted. <laughs> like, I mean... See, like... Everybody uses first-year coach to his detriment, but sometimes first-year coaches, especially with the league and how much the league is... What'd you say? Recently, yeah. I mean, yeah, and the league has changed a lot in the past 10 years. A first-year coach isn't necessarily a bad thing. He's not stuck in his ways. He's not, you know, he hasn't developed a system in the 2010s, and now he's you know, struggling with adjusting it or still running the same stuff that might be a little bit outdated. Everybody talks about a first-time head coach as if it's an issue, but it's easier for a guy like Chauncey who was in locker rooms, you know, eight years ago, right? He was still in the league eight years ago. I feel like it's easier for players 
that were in the league somewhat recently that know some of the players or played against some of the players or played with some of the players that are in the league right now. Uh, I feel like that makes it a little bit easier for them and lots of expectations on a first-year coach, but I feel like one of the biggest things with first-year coaches is they have to be able to lead a locker room. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, like, I think the main struggle for first-year coaches is they struggle to lead a locker room. You look at Jim Boylan. You look at... um, John Beeline, right? Like you look at even other sports, man. Jason Kidd. I mean, he had experience, and he was. Yeah, exactly. So it's like there's coaches that have experience that got fired because they weren't good. I don't see how that's better than a first-time head coach. You know, I'd take a first-year head coach over Jason Kidd in Dallas right now. Um, Dallas has just gone out and gotten Luca some yes men, basically. you know, just not necessarily the right guys for him, but guys that he supposedly wanted. So it's just a situation where everybody talks about him being a first-year head coach. He just, he knows the game. He knows how to lead a locker room. And he sounds like he's going to do the right things on the court. I don't know. Everything he's said, he doesn't sound like a first-year head coach. Not at he all. sounds like a guy who's been a coach for 10 years. So I don't know, man. Like, I don't think it's unfair or unreasonable or bad to put high expectations on him because I truly think it, he he's worth it. I truly think that he is going to be one of the better coaches in the league this year. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I feel like what he's saying too and the whole put an address on it and stuff like that, Uh, Like when you're clear with your intentions and truthful with players and they know what to expect from you, I feel like it's so much easier to implement your schemes and your style and stuff because you can point to it right away first preseason game and say, look, this is not what I want you to do or this is exactly how I want this done. This was ran perfectly or whatever. And I feel like that's just going to make it uh, the process speed up that much more. Yep. So, uh, what else from him that you've heard Um, you like? Well, so he was asked specifically about the three guard lineup and, uh, how he would, um, uh, deal with it if it wasn't working out or whatever. And, uh, this was really refreshing to hear. Um, so first off, he said, well, if I have to switch lineups around, I'll just do that. <laughs> or if I have to change coverages because the coverages that I'm implementing aren't working, I'll do that, you know? <laughs> so um, that's great to hear that, like, it's not, oh, okay, uh, five minutes into the first quarter, here comes Mellow and Cantor, you know? <laughs> like, um, he's not going to, like, do those kind of things. Um, he's going to have more, like, feel the game, I feel like, more like matchup based um, rotations and stuff instead of just like set. I have to do this at a certain time. I have to play Dame the whole first quarter every time, you know, like type of thing. The word for it, Eric, he's going to be adaptable. (laughs) Right. Yes. And that's such a foreign word when we're talking about trailblazers coaching, because that's the, that was the biggest issue with Terry Stoss. Like if you could boil down our issues with Terry Stoss last year to one word, that word would be, the opposite of adaptability, yeah. <laughs> Un- unadaptability. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's just his, 
he he refused to adapt and he refused to switch things up and he refused i don't know if it was because he didn't know how to teach other things i don't know if it's because he didn't recognize when he needed to adapt but in situations where drop scheme would be getting killed he wouldn't adjust in situations where maybe a guy was mismatched he wouldn't you know play the right substitute it was there's just a lot of little things when our offense was getting shut down uh when dame's getting trapped off the pick and roll he just keeps running more pick and rolls he had no adaptability last season uh or actually during pretty much his entire tenure here he really struggled to adapt and situationally coach so that's the thing is like it's funny because that question eric uh that question that was posed to chauncey billups you know, under Terry Stotts, you would get an answer where you'd have to try and parse his words and he'd <laughs> dance around the question and be all this extra stuff. And with Chauncey, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'll just switch things up if I need to. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so simple. Well, the other part of his answer was that, um, like, he, he said it and what we say this all the time, like, there's not many teams that can expose that either. Um, there's not that many teams that are going to like post up their shooting guard on, on our, on CJ or whatever, you know, and those type of teams, you have to change what you're doing. Cause they'll post up any, it's not just cause they're shorter or whatever. It's, it's because that's how they play. So you can just change that up. But he also said those, those players, uh, the three guards on our team, Dave, CJ and Norm have to be able to scrap and, match their aggressiveness and to uh, be willing to take on those challenges and stuff like that. And he said, if they're not, then he'll, he'll switch up what's happening out there. So, um, but yeah, he was like, basically said like, there's not many lineups, especially in the West that are going to kill us for <laughs> having three guards. So in fact, most lineups now are going to shorter lineups Um Typically, like the power forward isn't really a big man on most teams anymore. It's more of a, a stretch four or a, a guard like or a wing like Rocco who can play either position, you know. And then more and more, the small forwards become more of a, a shooting guard, and the shooting guards become more of a second like combo guard slash point guard. So uh, there isn't a lot of teams, and I've been saying this for a year outside of. Um, maybe clay thompson obviously in the playoffs uh has taken advantage being a little taller than cj on some post-ups and stuff like that and uh recently devin booker has taken advantage of our guards um in that way too but uh other than that there's not a lot of guards that post up in the west especially so i just i just don't see a lot of games where that hurts us you know and here's the thing like Devin Booker posting up CJ McCollum, is that really going to be that much more efficient for him than how he normally plays? Because he's already a really good player. Right. So it's like, sure, he might be able to score on CJ, but he can score on any sort of defensive coverage. So it's just a situation where it's like the only way it's a legitimate issue is if they're scoring very efficiently. Do you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. here's the thing. It's like he, he he's the type of coach who I – it absolutely seems like he'll throw a double team and he'll switch up coverages and he'll teach CJ how to deny and he'll basically just be able to 
handle it with certain certain things there's certain things you can do to kind of neutralize that advantage for mm-hmm. cj maybe it's fronting and then you have backside help or if devin booker catches the ball on the post you double right away or you wait until he puts the ball on the ground and then you double here's the thing is if you double him he's a good enough passer you got to be able to rotate well behind that and we didn't have the best rotations last year mm-hmm. either so the team has to know how to defend behind a double team of the post but uh that's a heavy heavy focus as we go into training camp and i trust chauncey billups to get that out of the team more than i trust terry stotts to because terry stotts didn't really teach the team or at least he didn't get the results in as far as the team rotating properly defensively our rotations our positioning and little stuff like that last year was not good whatsoever so it's just a situation where People sit here and say, oh, well, coaching isn't going to fix the fact that CJ's 6'3". It can help. Yeah. It absolutely can help. And and it's crazy that people act like that can't help at all. How many times did we double team in the post? How many times did we double team at all? How many times did we run a different scheme, a different defense to maybe make it easier on Dame and CJ with their lack of height? And then how many times did we help them and then rotate properly out of it we didn't do that type of stuff so that's the thing is that answer from chauncey man has me excited because he is sounds he sounds like he's the right coach to handle having a bit of an undersized roster you just have to be creative as a head coach defensively in order to switch up looks and keep an offense off balance and then help negate the weaknesses there for being a bit undersized. So uh, I love that answer from him. Yeah, and uh, the I lost my train of thought because I answered the question in chat. Um, yeah, Nas's teams, Blazers are going to pick up Nas's fourth year. That's like 100% already done deal. Lock it up. Um, but uh, the thing about defense is we noticed those mistakes happening for years, right? <laughs> Especially with those those players. Um, and then we noticed it all last year from the beginning of the season, right? <laughs> like always overhelping, wrong person helping, falling asleep on the backside. Those are all things that we commented virtually every game <laughs> about, right? So those things, if they're being addressed properly... <laughs> and fixed throughout the season, you get to a point where, like, after a couple months into the season, you shouldn't be having those issues anymore. And when they do, they stand out, and the guys know immediately who made the wrong decision, and they fix it within the game, and it doesn't happen again the rest of the game. Whereas last year, the same person made the same mistake, like, three times a game, and next game, oh, same mistake three times. Oh, next game three, same mistake every... Every important possession, right? And uh, um, it, and then you get into a series with Denver. And uh, so, like, prime example, Aaron Gordon drives down the middle. Um, I think he had Nurk on him at the time. Nurk is in front of him, stays in front of him between him and the basket. CJ inexplicably comes down to help in the paint. Aaron Gordon kicks out to Austin Rivers, who hits a wide-open three, and mm-hmm. it pretty much costs the game. Whereas I feel like if you have a coach that's teaching you that that's the wrong wrong position to help from and that you don't do this and he's telling CJ that all season, 
when you get to crunch time in the playoffs, when you need a stop in the fourth quarter, CJ's not going to make that mistake coming out of position. And if he does, he's not going to be closing games if he continues to make those mistakes in closeout uh, last-minute opportunities in the playoffs. So um, I just feel like a good coach would fix all those things. And I absolutely 100% believe that coaching has a lot of impact on these guys. I mean, you do need talent to win, but I feel like this roster also has a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, it's just basic positional stuff, man. We would help 15 feet off our guys when we were one pass away. You do not leave your guy and help on the ball if you're one pass away on the perimeter. Normally, that help comes from somebody on the back line of the defense, right? You can stunt at the ball if you're close enough, but there are so many situations where we just we'd be one pass away and we'd leave that guy completely wide open to run to the ball when a it wasn't needed and and b we were leaving shooters and c it wasn't the right guy helping so it's just stuff like that that's not something that we need to have a six foot six shooting guard in order to correct Mm -hmm. so that's the issue is or, or that's the that's the problem with a lot of people's narratives surrounding this team, a lot of the stuff is fixable, man. Yep. And it's, it's exciting that we're going to see that. Cause I just look at the season and it's like, how are we not a 50 win team? We won the equivalent of 48 games through an 82 game schedule last season when we mm-hmm. had the 29th ranked defense. Right. And we also missed Nurk for half the season and CJ was out for like 25 games as well. So if we're healthier, and all these fixable defensive things improve and say we're just an average defense. We were tied for fifth in the West with the 29th ranked defense. <laughs> yeah. So it boggles my mind how we're going to have a full season of Norman Powell. We upgraded our bench, especially defensively, by going from Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor, who was a horrible pairing. And if you look at uh, plus minus off court, on court. In the playoffs, they cost us that series. Our starters outscored Denver's by almost 50 points. We fixed that. We upgrade them in, them into Larry Nance Jr. and Cody Zeller. So the roster is going to be better with Norm and then with those two backing us up. Hopefully we're healthier. And then the defense should improve a lot. Has a ton of room for improvement. We were second worst in the league last year. How do we not win 50 games when we won the equivalent of 48 games last year? That's, that's, that's my question. I think all those improvements add up. I mean, there's a good chance we're a 55-win team. Mm-hmm. If Chauncey if Chauncey is the coach that I think he is, so I'm just sitting here excited because I don't know, man. I I, I see these people sleeping on us, and maybe this is a little like side detour. You want to go down this road? Sure, go ahead. There's just people to. sleeping on us, right? So yeah. uh, I don't know if Romp is still in chat, but Romp was on a stream last night with uh, Evan and with a couple other guys that I didn't know, and they were ranking Western Conference standings next season they were predicting it one person said eighth for the blazers one person said seventh i think evan said fourth or fifth so that's respectable i see that and somebody said and romp said second which i can get on board with that Mm um i don't see how we go from tied for fifth (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't see how we go from tied for fifth and make all these improvements and fall to seventh or eighth Mm -hmm. i just don't understand how that's possible Outside of something drastic happening like an injury. Yeah. Well, from the outside, I mean, I'm totally fine with people saying Lakers, Jazz, and Suns are better than us Mm -hmm. because they they proved it last year. So um, then I think 
that's where, at least from a national point of view, or you know, someone who's not biased or whatever, like I don't see how the Blazers aren't in that fourth discussion at least. So you got Denver, who's without Jamal Murray, but you can make the argument that they played pretty well and beat us without him last year. Um, I mean, we're not going to get into the specifics. We all know why <laughs> that happened or why Tori and I feel that happened. But um, they, Jokic can absolutely carry a team. Um, we've seen Doncic uh, also be able to carry a team. So those two teams, I mean, I think we're better than those two teams if we're healthy with better coaching. But I could see where people have those teams like in the same group as us. Now, the Clippers, without Kawhi, I don't think are as good as any of those teams. So, um, like, I don't... I mean, I guess some people could say, oh, look what PG did in the playoffs. He could absolutely carry that team. But I just don't see it long-term throughout a season, that team being good enough to withstand um, Kawhi not being there. Now, they might be in that conversation for that 6th to 8th or 10th spot, you know, the play-in positions. But... I just don't see them moving up. Anyone who has Memphis ahead of us is, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're not good at analysis. <laughs> like, um, it just, um, like Memphis, I don't, they lost Valentinus. They, they didn't really replace him with much. I mean, Steven Adams, you can say, can fill that role, but Valentinus is better than Steven Adams, in my opinion. But, um, and then Golden State, I mean, they they have a lot more depth than they had last year. Um, they made some good minimum contract signings. Um, have obviously the two rookies and stuff. Uh, I don't know if Wiseman will be healthy right off the bat, but should have him for the full season and stuff. But without Clay, they've proven the last two seasons that they're not <laughs> capable of being a top seed in the West. Yeah, um, they haven't even made the playoffs. I mean, yeah. they were the eighth seed headed in last year, lost the play into the Grizzlies. So. I mean, yeah, they, they'll they'll be a dangerous team at the end of the year with Clay back, but mm-hmm. before then, it's. I mean, they got so many question marks. I don't see them being better than us. So, I mean, I would put them in the Clippers. I'd probably put them right ahead of the Clippers. And am I forgetting a team? Like, I'm trying to think. Most of the other teams, I think, are fighting for those other spots. I think I'm forgetting a team, but I mean, I don't see how Portland's worse than sixth if they struggle with learning a new system or whatever, maybe get behind or something like, I, I don't see how they can be much worse than I don't six. see it. I have a hard time seeing them was worse than fifth Yeah, because Dallas didn't get better. We tied for Dallas when we had worse injury luck with them last year mm-hmm. than them last year and a worse coach. They probably downgraded their coach. We upgraded it, right? They didn't improve the roster. I mean, I don't see how they are a better roster than us and then the other team that was above us you got the clippers i don't see how they're above us either i think right now there's a pretty clear-cut top five to me and that is utah phoenix the lakers portland denver Mm -hmm. in whatever order you want right like you can put portland behind denver because of what happened in the playoffs last year i understand that right um you just got you got morons that don't pay enough attention to the to the team and then like to say hot takes and claim that they're you know going to be sixth to ninth or something like that you know they're going to be a play-in team or whatever and i just don't see how you upgrade the coaching upgrade the roster have a full season of norm and 
you hopefully don't have two starters out for half the season. I don't see how that team goes from tied to fifth to like the ceiling of the team is sixth now. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any logical sense. And I like to think through things logically. And there's just a lot of illogical takes on this team headed into this season with absolutely no substance about us. So you got a bunch of people sleeping on us, which is usual. I have never been more confident in a Damian Lillard team heading into the season than I am this year. And I've seen Damian Lillard teams be the third seed in back-to-back seasons, right? We're going to wait and see, man. It's about time where we're going to see out on the basketball court. And I can't be more excited because I am so, I'm just extremely confident that all these people sleeping on us are going to eat their words and we're going to be enjoying the season. So, and, and once again, the people who, um, think it takes a while for new schemes and stuff to be implemented. But part of that is usually when you have a new coach, you have a new team too, or new players to integrate. Whereas our starting lineup is the same as it was at the end of last season. So there's not going to be a huge adjustment to learning how to play with a star player. And the players that we did bring in, like a Larry Nance Jr., those guys know how to play with like any kind of lineup. That guy's dude, he's played with like LeBron or he's played like with the worst players in the league. That guy can adapt his game to other other people so um yeah it's i don't feel like there's going to be a huge learning curve um just chemistry wise or how it's going to fit on the court and stuff like that i feel like it's going to happen pretty fast and i know that's probably optimistic um but i just don't see why it has to take a lot of time for some basic stuff that they should have been doing anyway to happen (laughs) from the coaching staff yeah and let me just put this on the record as the season is about to get underway. I am not dealing with mellow stands this year, Eric. There's no reason for me to deal with them. I had to deal with them for two years. All right. Finally, that divorce has happened. Mm-hmm. I am not going to deal with any more mellow stands saying this team's going to suck because they don't have mellow. <laughs> I am not yeah. going to. Do, but I'm people are also welcome to their opinions. I don't yeah, know. but nah, if, they, if, they say, if they say I'm delusional because mellow made the team better, ban. I don't care. All right, I don't care. Like those two things, nah, 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 nah. They're, and they're gonna be in their words, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, some people might miss Block Boy. Block Boy can come back and say whatever he wants, right? I'll let that guy say whatever. That guy's the resident mellow stand. The problem is we gave him too much attention last year on post game shows, but it was hard not to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I told you this before we went on the air, but uh, I just got. Uh, control the narrative dude mellow stand number one in my narrative i don't know what that dude's obsession with mellow is uh but <laughs> that guy uh yeah um he, he said for those that missed it that um mellow would be better than lebron had he been drafted by the pistons instead of the um nuggets so. yeah eric sorry man I'm not dealing with that. People are entitled <laughs> to their opinions, but right. I'm not dealing with Mellow Stands trolling. All right? Yeah. I'm not dealing with that. Um, people can, See, people are entitled to their opinions. I won't respect it, though, unless they just come with legitimate opinions that's backed up by something. Yeah. Too many people... Th- this is just an issue with like NBA Twitter, especially, but just sports takes in general. Too many people just toss out sports opinions... And 
don't have a single reason for it. They'll say like, oh, the Blazers are going to be seventh first round exit like always. Dame's going to leave poverty franchise, right? (laughs) They, they can't even find one reason, one basketball reason to back up their take. So I'm just, people can disagree with us. All I've ever said is just have substance, back up your take, take with something meaningful, right? A basketball reason or something at least. Mm-hmm. Too many people come in here and just say ridiculous opinions, hating on the Blazers without anything to back it up or any substance. And that type of stuff, I'm just like, I'm over it, right? We'll let you... Say a negative opinion about the Blazers if you back it up. I'm down to I'm down to listen to that, and then that's a conversation. The problem is there's too many people that you can't have conversations with because they literally are saying stuff just to say stuff and don't even have any sort of substance or reasoning or logic behind it. Yeah, I just I'm not a fan of the band hammer, but you can do what you want. I will do what I want. Yeah. As far as Mello stands, right? Yeah. I can handle I can handle anything else. I just, you know, I tell with Mello stands. I'm looking forward to the season because I won't have to. And I'm not going to let them take that away from me. All right? They are a cult, right? People say we are a cult. Maybe we are a cult. All right? But they are a cult too. And I don't like that cult. So no to Mello stands this season. All right, let's get back on track. Uh, what else you got? Topic wise, well, uh, apparently the player that stood out the most in camp so far is one Nasir Little. Yeah, no surprise there. And Romp asked earlier, maybe we can tie this in. Who do who? This is a good question for chat. So this is why I'm just going to ask this right now. Who is more likely to? How did he word it? Do you know which question I'm talking about? Yeah, I saw him earlier, but yeah, I don't remember. How we- yeah, it was like, who is more likely to break out, Nas or Ant? Who do you think has the bigger season next year, Nas or Ant, Eric? Oh, okay, so that's two different questions in my mind. I mean, answer whichever one of them you want. Yeah. Who will have a bigger year, Anthony Simons or Maddie Little? That's what he said. Maddie Nas- Little? <laughs> Nas- <laughs> did you uh- did you? <laughs> Did your daughter, Mar- daughter marry Nas? I, I guess. Uh, I mean, congrats. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, do a poll. Um, All right. How should I word it? Breakout or who has the bigger season next year? Um, Which do you think is a better phrasing? Well, he's he asked who has the better season. So. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to mute my mic so you don't hear the typing. JM1231 with a $2 donation. Um, he says, Ant, because he will have more run, but I love Nas. And, uh, yeah, Ant, Ant is already more established. We already know he can shoot above 40% from three. We know he can impact the game that way. So if he adds anything to his game, he can easily be uh, have a better season than Nas. But if we're talking about breaking out and just, you know, improving from year to year, Nas has a lot lower place to start from. So I think he has the much more potential to be better than he was last year. Who do you think has the highest ceiling next season? Oh. There's so many ways you can braise this and compare these two guys. Um, God, it's so close. Uh, Nas, just because if he's truly 
breaking out and being like a guy we have to give minutes to, it's most likely because he is playing well on the defensive end and having a guy with his size and wingspan uh, being able to be a lockdown defender if he was able to do that would be a game changer for this team, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's not a knock on, on Ant because he could have definitely be right there with him. See, like, Ant is your more prototypical sixth man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Nas, if he, like, truly breaks out, he makes more sense as, like, a starter complimentary piece in the starting lineup to Dame and CJ and Norm or whoever. You know what I mean? Like, that's a conversation. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to have <laughs> heading into next offseason. By then, maybe CJ's been traded for somebody. I don't know. So... Nas is just really kind of the wild card. Anthony's the more prototypical sixth man. So, like, if I had to take bets on who's more likely to win sixth man of the year, I'd bet Anthony Simons easily over Nas. Not necessarily because I expect Ant to have a more productive season for the team, but normally that award goes to guys that are able to score the ball in bunches, and Ant can definitely do that. I mean, wasn't there a stat that, like, Anthony Simons was the top spot-up shooter last year? It was one of them, yeah. I don't know if he yeah. was the top. But, he was yeah, one over at the... I heard somebody say the top. I mean, the dude shot, what, 42.6% from three, Eric? Mm. And so many of those threes were off the dribble and contested. Like, the fact that... If you went back and just looked at his shots and didn't see if they went in or not, and then I told you, yeah, he shot 42.6% from three on those shots that he took, you would just be shocked. Like, I feel like people forget how tough some of the shots he took were. And I feel like part of the reason is because you have Damon CJ that always take those shots <laughs> and always shoot well. So it's yeah. like, oh, that's just normal. It's not normal. I mean, if, if like, Romp became a Blazer fan, started watching him game in, game out, the types of shots that Anthony would be making, I feel like he'd be surprised. Because, no offense, Philadelphia needs a guy that are able to hit the shots that Dame and CJ can. You know what I mean? Tyrese Maxey might be that guy, by the way. But, um, you know, long term, I'm not going to say right now, but long term, I'm a Maxey fan, right? So, it's just a situation where it's like when you get used to a good thing, you don't realize how good it is. You know? So, we're so used to having Portland Trailblazers guards hit insanely tough shots that it's become normalized. And if Anthony gets better shots this year, his percentage should go up. And there's a lot of room for improvement for getting him better three-point looks. Mm-hmm. I think there's a chance he shoots 45% from three next year, which might be ambitious. And maybe last year was a little bit of an overachievement. But it's like you just look at the difficulty of the shots he took last year and that percentage – I think the dude is going to be one of the best shooters in the league this year. And then if he can just do anything off the dribble scoring-wise, then he gets put into conversation for sixth man of the year. Did you know Ants only had four dunk attempts last year? The dunk contest champion. Four <laughs> dunk attempts, man. Four attempts, yeah. Yeah, it was just ridiculous. So especially if we play more fast-paced and give them better driving lanes in the half court, like he could be a guy averaging 13, 14 points per game i wish uh it's looking at his shooting splits and stuff on basketball reference i wish they had a closest defender category that's not like nba.com but it's really yeah. hard to find you gotta <laughs> yeah. like, leave your way through their statistical database mm-hmm. but i mean yeah and 
I'm excited for Ant, but you know, we started off this conversation with Nas. So, is there anything more to that quote well, that you wanted to say? No, because I mean, <laughs> it's weird because the next uh, quote. Let me find the exact quote. So, um, Simons. This is from Jason Quick. After the first two days of practices, Anthony Simon says he can feel it. His role on the Trailblazers is changing. This is what I've been wait- working for, waiting for this moment, Simon said. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that both of these guys are, were like, whoa, this year, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is if both these guys pop it just raises our ceiling Mm -hmm. you know like if both these guys pop like they have the ability to if both these guys have a good year we have a top 10 bench in the league maybe borderline top five you know what i mean uh these guys are the wild cards to the season because you know what you're gonna get with pretty much everybody else in the rotation uh, outside of nurk nurk is the other wild card he's the wild card in the starting lineup the bench wild cards anthony simons and mr little if Terry Stotts was still the coach, I would be far less excited mm-hmm. because, and I said it in the Sir Little player preview, and it kind of applies to Anthony Simons, but neither of these guys are really create your own shot at a pick and roll or in one-on-one isolation type guys yet. I think Anthony could take that step forward this year. I'm more confident that in him taking that step than Nas, even though I think they both have potential in that area. Yeah, Nas has secret playmaking ability, handling yeah, ability. Yeah, but... They're just not guys that are going to do it at like a close to a Dame or CJ type level, right? It would be much easier for them if they were just playing an emotion offense. It's like I, I would watch the Suns last year and some of their role players and what they did and how good they looked. And I'm just thinking like, man, Anthony Simons would kill off mm-hmm. this bench, getting the types of shots that you know they're, well, look- some of their bench players were getting. Look what they did to a guy like Cameron Payne who was out of the league and he goes into that system and all of a sudden looks like he could be like a starter once Chris Paul retires, you know? Yeah, the next starting point guard for them. I mean, that's the thing, man, is if you just get this guy better three-point shots and then give him easier opportunities to attack with his athleticism, it's going to be interesting, man. And I'm super excited because it feels like this is the first season in a while where we have young guys that could really break out. You know, like, I guess you could maybe say that about Trent going into last year, but he had already kind of broken out. But it wasn't a situation where he was doing much more than just knockdown threes. Mm-hmm. And he played good defense in the bubble, but it's like, I still think Anthony Simons has a higher ceiling than Gary Trent Jr. I still think Nasir Little has a higher ceiling. And now it's like, all of a sudden, for the first time in a while, I feel like we have these high ceiling guys that are at the point in their careers where they would take a jump, where they're going to get the role, the proper role to take a jump, and they're also playing in the system that will allow them to take a jump. Well, I did feel that way two years ago with Zach. Um, but then he gets hit, hurt the third game of the season, so we never so, got to see if he did take that jump or not. But but, but Zach was more like... The, the the idea of Zach Collins was more like he's just going to be a really good defensive role player and be able to... Mm-hmm. He wasn't a guy that's like... Had has the scoring potential that Nas and Anthony Simons do, or had the athleticism that those guys do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, I always felt like Simons and Nasir Little's ceilings were a little bit higher than than Zach Collins, 
and I also just felt like they were going to end up just being more exciting players, which, I mean, in the grand scheme of things doesn't mean much, but it's just, that's part of the excitement is just because of how fun those guys are to watch. And now I feel like we're going to finally see them play in a system that are, is going to be able to make use of their athleticism and give them driving lanes. You know, I think this this is happening this year and why you feel that way. Why? It's because in previous years, I mean, we heard it straight from Stott's mouth last year that, oh, veterans have earned their minutes and they're going to, you know, and, you know, it's almost like if you were a young guy, you could get into the rotation with Stott's. It wasn't out of the realm of possibility, but you had to, like, come in the game and be perfect and do, like, unreal things on your own basically <laughs> and like carry a defense or or make a bunch of shots and hit a bunch of threes and then you get to stay on the court maybe you know yeah. but if you like messed up or whatever you would get your minutes screwed around in with comes barrio hazonia to right. play 20 minutes because <laughs> nas missed a defensive assignment whereas i feel like with billups he knows Look, if I can get these two guys to play at a high level, this team is going to take off, right? Whereas mm-hmm. Thoughts was almost like, oh, I have to play the veterans because that's the only chance we have is to yeah. to depend on these veterans. But Billups is like, no, man, if you can play, I'm putting you out there and I'm going to expect you to, to – I'm expecting the same thing I'm expecting from Nas as I am from the, like Norm at the starting small forward, you know? So, like <laughs> – I, I think these guys, and both of them said it. Um, I'll find the other quote. This is a good time to mention it. Um, it's, uh, I hope I can find it real quick. Um, I can't find it right now. But uh, basically, he said that both of them felt empowered under Billups. And <laughs> uh, that's, that's huge for a young player to feel like. I mean, we've heard it before. Oh, Stotts, Stotts empowers his players to shoot the ball or whatever. Fine, yeah, they shoot. They can empower. Let he lets them shoot, but as soon as you miss it, like you said, you get yanked out of the game. So, um, I, I just feel like these guys, Billups, is not going to wait the whole season and be like, oh, maybe, maybe Nas will eventually just magically be better or something. You know, he's gonna like put him in positions to succeed early on. So that by the end of the season, we might have an actual stud there um, ready to dominate on both ends. And same with Anthony. And I, I just, I'm just so excited. Like, I, I wasn't expecting to be this excited going into, like, training camp and stuff. But, like, I don't know. It's, like, it's hard not to just be, like, thrilled with the direction of everything right now. Yeah, well, it's just a combination of things. It's putting young players in a position to succeed combined with expecting a lot out of them but combined with not punishing them if they don't meet expectations, right? And instead doing the right things to help them learn from that. And that's why I think Chauncey will bring these young guys. Stotts didn't put these guys in the position, in the best position to succeed. It seemed like Stotts was just waiting for them to mess up when he put them in the game at times. Um, and then it was like, the mistakes they would possibly make, it wasn't like Stotts really seemingly did anything to help them take steps forward from there. So that's why, that's part of the excitement is just Chauncey, for a number of players on this team, Chauncey just brings so much excitement as we head into the season and is, uh, I'm going to be 
it's going to be interesting just to see how guys playing styles change under him, especially mm-hmm. young guys, you know, Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, that is something we'll cover in our post game shows. It's, it's empowering, man. It's empowering having a coach expect a lot out of you, but you also know that it's not going to be like, Oh, I'm not going to play the next five games. If I mess up, you know, I mean, last season, and you pointed this out and I pointed out in the Nasir Little player preview, Stoss says, yeah, Nasir Little has earned the backup shooting guard role. And then the next game, he played, what, four or six minutes, something like that? Yeah, I think he ended up getting back in the game and crunch, like, garbage time when the game was out mm-hmm. of hand. But, yeah, it was, like, four minutes in the first three quarters or something, yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, that, that's not empowering to a player. That's not good for a player's confidence. So, I'm just excited to have Chauncey. Shout out. Great Hughes investigates for a $20 dono. He says, it seems like Chauncey sees a lot of talent and a lot of players. You know, the same player Stotts saw none. Hey, check out the email I sent you a while back that allows you to display a question or super chat on the screen. And I appreciate Gray Hughes. Appreciate the $20 dono, Gray. That's great. Uh, I did see that email with how much, th- how many things we're going to be doing graphically this year. Uh, I don't really have a way to, I don't know, even if I use the plugin. Uh, I can't be parsing through chat that much when I'm. we're going to be doing as much as we are doing graphically for post-game shows next season. Uh, but we will continue to shout out every dono. And I will try and get donos to appear across the screen. That makes sense with our post-game graphics because we're going all out as we head into next season. Shout out Jake Carey for Anthony Splits for closest defender on jumpers over 10 feet. Um, very tight. Uh, 1.7%, tight, 18.7%, open, 34.7%, wide open, 24.4%, apparently. Is that, um, I don't understand what that, I don't really, I don't really understand the context behind that either, but jumpers over 10 feet, closest offender. Yeah, I should have read through before I read it off, but, um, is that how much percentage of each type of shot? Because that doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Anyway, um, but yeah, sorry, Greg. I just I had typed out a response to that and forgot to hit send. So appreciate that. Uh, what else you got? Um, at uh, Jerry Perto, um, uh, I don't know why we need a Gray Hughes and Blazers Edge cross channel. We probably, I think you meant to say Blazers Uprise, maybe. Blazers Uprise, yeah, I don't, I don't think you meant Blazers Edge. I don't know. Uh, missing Blazers. Yeah, it must be Blazers Uprise. Unless, I don't know. I'm just confused right now. Show with them, but yeah. I'm just all around confused right now, man. So uh, what? What else you got? Let's try well, and. Uh, Oh, he, he didn't mean Blazers Uprise. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. No, no, um, I, know, I know. He said we we should do a, a show about missing Blazers or something. I think he was just making a joke, but he put Blazers Edge and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Joke didn't land because he said Blazers Edge. Unfortunate. You hate to see it. <laughs> so um, what else you got? So, in regards to the defense... Um, first day of training camp, Chauncey Billups began teaching the Blazers how he wants them to defend the pick and roll. I like it. I like it a lot, says Damian Lillard, the old dumb and dumber line. And Nurk chimed in with, I actually love it. So, yeah, these players are excited. <laughs> so, that yeah, I mean, they like playing actual defense on the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so... 
the whole point was that uh, they were going to be playing higher on it and they're going to come up to the screen versus sagging back and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, and it's, I mean, it sounds like they still will run drop, but only when the situation calls for it. It sounds like Chauncey's, (laughs) yeah, it just sounds like Chauncey's going to try and switch things up consistently and then like whatever schemes he runs defensively are going to be based on the situation, right? If you're down 10, you probably want to trap and try and force some turnovers to speed up the pace and get back in the game. If you're playing certain players, different schemes, different pick and roll schemes will be better to run against them. So it's just a situational thing and a... Uh, versatility thing in terms of what you're running defensively you don't want to just run the same scheme no matter what all season long and then your only difference is oh instead of dropping we're gonna switch and his canter out onto a guard and then not provide him any help and and just pray that it works out for us so um you know uh, that's something that i'm looking forward to this year as well is just how we're going to defend things yeah i forgot how it was phrased but it was something like um so he has different, it was, I think he said right or left. And that was like a, to signify what you messed up on or something, or make it simple to understand during a game, you know? So uh, I forgot how he, he phrased it, but Billups mentioned how he has a system in place to make it easy when he calls it out or tells a player during a game, like he could just yell out a word to them and they would, then understand what they did wrong on that last possession and and correct it right then and there, you know? <laughs> so uh, once again, very refreshing to hear. Yep. Alvaro likes donating right after somebody else's donation. This is the mm-hmm. second stream in a row he's done it. Shout out play-by-play for the so, $10 play-by-play. demo. He says, so glad we don't have to talk about what Stotts may do different this year. I'm confident that the team has learned more in the last couple of practices than <laughs> they did under Stotts ever. Uh, I mean, it seems, it seems like it. I mean, you ever hear Dame and CJ saying the stuff they're saying right now under Terry's thoughts? I no. don't remember that. So that's well, uh, encouraging. I mean, Johnny Doe is saying it could be just, you know, every person has nice things to say about a new coach usually right away. Um, there might be some truth to that, but I don't know. Like the type of things they're saying make it seem like I mean, obviously they practice and learn stuff, but it had gotten stale and it just wasn't coming across. I, I don't know if it's a communication problem or they were just, they. if you do the same thing over and over again, which seemingly is what we did, um, and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and it doesn't work like your defensive coverage is, I mean, eventually it gets tuned out and eventually you get kind of, soured on the idea of playing defense when you're doing exactly what the coach is telling you to do you're in you're dropping off even like if you're nurk and you know you're not you shouldn't be dropping off in that situation but you do it anyway because that's what the coach wants and then someone hits a shot on you and it looks like it's your fault and you're a terrible defender and now you've got all these people on social media saying that nurk isn't even good on defense and all this stuff so um like yeah so I don't know if it's that they're learning more, but it's definitely, I think you can tell they're bought in and are ready to just try something new on that end. And it's 
the fact that it is new and seemingly like, oh, wow, we could do that. We could, we don't have to just like let the defense or the offense do whatever they want against us. We, we can actually stop it or try to stop it. Like that's got to be um, kind of eye opening for some of these guys who have only played for stunts. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. It just seems like they're enlightened in a way mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, excited to be doing something different. Shout out Avaro Bazan. Uh, for a five dollar dono he says talking about putting young guys in the best position to succeed what are your hopes for dennis smith jr based on the little we've seen of him it's hard to really talk about my hopes for him when i don't even know if he's going to be on the team (laughs) um it's just sort of like training camp guys there's a reason i didn't really do a video with them it's just kind of we're gonna wait and see and we're gonna talk about them a lot uh in post game shows after preseason games so uh but reese says his hopes for Dennis Smith Jr. is high-level POA defender who can come in and set the tone defensively. Um, a little, little side rant. I, I don't know why, but POA and point of the point of attack, I'm it's starting to become a little bit of a pet peeve. Which I know it's a term, but why don't people just say on-ball defense, Eric? Uh, why is POA? It's like POA or point of attack just sounds fancy and smarter. You know what I well, mean? I don't know. On-ball to me. Is more just like your guy has the ball, you're playing defense on him. Whereas to me, point of attack more incorporates like how you defend a, a pick and roll or how you defend an off, uh, like, uh, I don't know, just different situations that can happen while your guy has the ball to uh, be more aggressive to stop that. Um, that's this, I mean, that's on ball defense to me. That's all yeah. on ball defense to me. So, I mean, I feel like to me they're the same thing mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't know i i've seen that term thrown around a lot recently and it's just like all of a sudden to me it's like people have stopped saying on ball defense and now it's all poa or point of attack and i don't know that's just something that i've thought about recently uh but as for dennis smith jr uh if blazers media uh whoever's in their their videos or whatever they're pushing out their content. Um, I don't know if this is by design or it just happens to be this way, but they sure seem like they're focusing on him a lot. Um, and also you saw a video of uh, Dame on the bench. I forgot that was, that, if that was today or, or yesterday, but Dame on the bench uh, chatting with him, like instructing him and stuff. Um from little we've seen, obviously we haven't seen a, an actual game or anything, but it does seem like he's playing well and is going to, or as of right now, is probably the front runner for for the one spot. Yeah, I just I don't see how we can go into next season with only like two true bigs, mm-hmm. and both of them are injury prone. Yeah, so I agree. I guess right. I I hundred percent think we should take two, and. We can have non-guaranteed. We can cut him still if we need that roster spot. But <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you could also... I mean... I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to, if we needed to, after a trade, just cut Ellaby or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... I mean, the Blazers are right under the tax line, though. Doesn't that factor into this decision? They're over the tax line. Are they over the tax line? Yeah, they're they're um, one point three million over the tax, 
So once they sign someone to the minimum for the 14th spot, they're going to be about $3 million over the tax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jake, I don't see where you got that from, but... Uh, shot Caleb Pettergraff for a $2 dono. He says, I'm going to miss the Mellow Stands Annoying. Tori, I'm glad you enjoy my pain, Caleb. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the $2 dono to make it a little bit better. Um, but... But no, 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 no. Mellow stands annoying me is just it's it's in the past. Thank goodness I'm done with it. I was tired of it. I'm not dealing with any more uh, any more block boys. I, I just I don't. I didn't enjoy that. All right, that was not enjoyable. It was enjoyable here and there, but overall it was it was not enjoyable. Anyway, I appreciate the dono. Um, what else you got? We are over an hour in, so we want to make sure we touch on all the narratives. Yeah, so they can sign two people for the minimum no matter what their cap situation is right now. They have not been hard capped, so technically if we made a bunch of trades and we ended up like $20 million over the cap, we can do that this year. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we are technically over the cap, but if we're going to salary dump Nurk at the trade deadline, it doesn't matter if we're $3 million or $5 million over, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> That's not happening. Um, but, like, so as far as... Jake says he thinks that if it was just Chauncey's choice, the last guy would be Quinn Cook because Chauncey had nice things to say about Quinn Cook. Um, but I've but also I mean, heard him say nice things about Smith. Yeah, like, we have four... He said nice things about Patrick Patterson, too. You know, we have four legitimately good training camp guys. Like, we have four really good training camp guys. We maybe have the best uh, group of training camp guys of any team in the league. Uh, our, our group of training guy, camp guys have all made waves in the NBA before. Have all done things in the NBA before. Two of them are still pretty young. One of them has been in the league for over a decade. Like, any any of those guys, you could say a lot of good things about them for them being training camp guys. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that Chauncey's uh, pick would be Quinn Cook. Um, just 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 because he said nice things about him. Because I, I've heard him say nice things about Patrick Patterson and Marquise Chris. I will be upset if Quinn Cook is the choice. And here's the thing. He's not even necessarily like a bad player to have on your roster but given the other options ahead of him uh i i hope that it's not quinn cook yeah well i mean chauncey mentions on media day he said you need your 14th and 15th guy to be a guy who knows he's probably not going to get in the game but ready if he has to and then also someone who supports his teammates and he specifically mentioned patterson as a guy who he had in la with him knowing that role and and He's confident with him right away. Um, and I, I think he put Cook in that same category just based on what we've heard and seen. So so th those are two guys that make sense. If we just want an in-the-bench guy who is a vet that we can depend on or whatever. But as we talked about earlier, too, I think Chauncey is intrigued with people who have immense upside. And I think he sees... Dennis Smith Jr.'s athleticism and he sees him making plays and practice and stuff like that. 
And I think that's just going to be too hard to pass up someone who has a bit of a ceiling as opposed to just a guy who can be an end of the bench type of bet. Well, here's the thing. Dennis Smith Jr. is more talented than Quinn Cook. Marquise Chris is more talented than Patrick Patterson. And they both have more upside. Yeah. Like, it'd be one thing if they were upside guys that weren't as talented as, you know, the lower upside guys. The thing is, the most talented players here in this group of four also have the most upside. Mm-hmm. Like, just Dennis Smith Jr. and Marquise Chris. And he's like, I don't know, I'll trust Chauncey or whatever, Olshay, I guess based on practices, you know, but I don't see how it's not both those guys because Chris is more suited to play the five than Patterson is. He Patterson is a stretch for this point. I mean, an undersized stretch five, he's pretty slow at this point and he's, he's falling off defensively. Like he was an okay defender, but he's a vet. So he's smart, but the dude does not move as well as Marquise Chris. Marquise Chris is a better passer. Marquise Chris is more athletic. If he's uh, healthy. Yeah, if he's healthy. But it's like if you have a guy who's not going to be playing that much, I mean, you're not as worried about health. Um, because, A, he shouldn't be at risk to get hurt if he's barely playing. And then, B, if he gets hurt, you should be fine. He's only the 14th guy. So... Chris should be the choice ahead of him, in my opinion. He's more talented, has more upside, uh, and also as like the third, third, third. I'm tripping over my words. As the third string center, Marquise Chris can pass the ball. That's something that I feel like people don't realize about him. And you have a good passing starting center in Yusuf Nurkic. You have a good passing backup center in Cody Zeller. You can have consistency from your first string to your second string to your third string center in terms of passing ability if you just bring. In bring Marquise Chris into the season if he's on the roster as we head into the season. He makes so much sense. It needs to be Dennis Smith Jr. and Marquise Chris. It's just that's just where I stand on it. And I'm uh, I don't see anything changing my mind unless Patrick Patterson shoots like 80% from three in the preseason. <laughs> or I mean, we haven't talked about this possibility, but there are teams with over 15 guaranteed players on their roster, so there could be some teams uh, that cut good players or players that are better than those four, possibly. So that that could also play in. Yeah. To that, do, you, but, do you know which teams those are? Um, or I, any of players that might be candidates for that? I'm pretty sure Memphis is one of them that has to cut like two or three people still. Um, Who do they even have though? Like, I mean, it's probably not someone better than them, but yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I can't remember the rest, but there are teams that have more than 15 guaranteed contracts right now. I mean, like, okay, Killian Tilly's on a two-way. But, like, if he was cut, then he would be intriguing. Um, they got Yee Pawns, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's just like John Conkar, Sean McDermott, Sam <laughs> Merrill. <laughs> Even even if it was a Chris Dunn, like what does Chris Dunn do better than Dennis Smith Jr.? Well, he's a better defender. He's one of the best defending guards in the league. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, but Dennis Smith Jr. is a good defensive guard too. Well, I mean, he's 
projecting to be that based off last year, but Chris Dunn's proven like lockdown defender. Yeah. Outside of that, I trust Dennis Smith Jr. offensively. I don't I've never really liked Chris Dunn. So, I mean, even if it's him, like I guess he would probably make sense over Dennis Smith Jr., but I mean I'd rather just if Dennis Smith Jr. is playing well in camp, even if Chris Dunn gets cut, Dennis Smith Jr. has been here, I would just take Dennis Smith Jr. He has more upside. Like I would rather have Dennis Smith Jr. over Chris Dunn. Yeah, I don't know. Chris Dunn is really good defensively. <laughs> I don't mean I think that's like a game changer. But I agree that Chris, Dennis Smith Jr. could, if he he's athletic enough to become that kind of defender. But as of right now, I don't think it's close defensively. And that was someone who's high on Dennis Smith Jr. potential on that end. Yeah, the Spurs uh, set thanks. For to uh, Trevin for mentioning the Spurs. They have to cut someone. Might be our boy, Alfred Aminu. Yeah, I'd rather have Chris than him. I'd rather have Chris than him. Yeah. Chris is Chris is more of a center than Aminu is. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. We need a backup. We need a third string center. So, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, if a guy gets released and he piques my interest, you guys will know if you follow me on Twitter at ToraJonesYT. You guys will know. I will tweet it out. I will tweet about it. Saying this is a guy that could be intriguing for the Portland Trailblazers. I just don't really see that happening. In a year, like if if we were sitting here with Luis, Luis Montero, Tim Quarterman, and Cliff Alexander as our training camp guys, different story. <laughs> but we got legitimate, legitimate players. Yep. So, anyway, what else you got for us? I think we can just take questions from chat yeah we'll take questions for like a good five minutes or so but um yeah let's stop talking about shell drill (laughs) i'm not gonna (laughs) some another thing i don't think coach thoughts ever yeah and what reese just said i makes no sense (laughs) but i don't want to i don't want to call him out again on stream so Huh. Are you a dish? Hmm. That's an inside joke. <laughs> Shut up, Beavis. <laughs> oh, man. Um, do you guys like watching the B-Roy interview? Yeah, it was interesting. I wish we heard more about, you know, how he feels about Portland or if he's, I don't know, like especially now. Mm-hmm. But it was a cool so We interview. have a whole different front office from when he was here. I know, Different but it's owner. just like, like I wish Michael Porter Jr. asked him about Dame. Like, it'd be cool to hear Brandon Roy talk about Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how much B-Roy pays attention. Trevin, yes. Roman asked, do you think LB would be cut knowing he's tight with Norm? Probably not. Uh, I don't see the Blazers cutting anyone on a guaranteed contract right now. Um... So they'd probably either try to trade him somewhere, if or yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think we're pretty much stuck with him for one more year. All right, have you given up on him? Um, I wouldn't say I've given up on him, but he's definitely. I would put him behind any of the guys, the training camp guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Like I'd um, rather have Quinn Cook over him. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just if he if he can shoot, it's a different story. The problem is he can't shoot. If he was a lockdown defender, it'd be a different story. He's not a lockdown guy. Like I don't think he projects ever. He doesn't. He actually doesn't have good physical tools defensively. He looked solid on that end, and he can be good on that end. I just I don't think he even has the chance to be great just because he doesn't have the physical tools. He's not super athletic. He's not super lanky. He's not strong. I mean, maybe he can change his body, add strength or whatnot, but is that going to slow him down? Like, uh, I don't know. I just, he, he doesn't seem like the type of guy who'd be like a really, really good NBA defender. Yeah, but there's also guys who aren't necessarily the most athletic that end up being really good defenders. Like who? I don't know, like Bruce. Like who? Like him. Bruce Bowen, Tony Allen, those guys aren't like super athletic or anything. Yeah, but like they were built. <laughs> yeah. And but they were like, they weren't, and, like Bruce Bowen was not insanely really, smart. Not really like early on in their careers. I'm, and, I'm not saying he's going to be them. I'm just saying it's not. Did Bruce totally Bowen have T Rex arms? Because <laughs> CJ Ellaby kind of got T Rex arms. <laughs> so, yeah. At least it seems like he has T Rex arms. Maybe, maybe there's a. Maybe. I think he has his wingspan measurement on the internet somewhere. Maybe somebody can grab that. But. Caleb Pentagraph says thoughts on the quick article saying that Ant was going to be the backup point guard and thoughts about the part about Ant being told to feed it to Mello. Um, it sounds like the aim and CJ are going to be staggered, which is good. And then CJ will playing, be playing next to Ant. And Chauncey said this, and I've said this in the past. If you have a bench unit with Simons and McCollum in the backcourt, you don't even have to necessarily designate one as the point guard. They can take turns bringing it up and initiate in yeah. the offense, just whoever has the ball. Uh, and Chauncey said basically exactly that in an interview. Um, so uh, Anthony and CJ will share that responsibility with the bench unit, it sounds like, which I think makes the most sense. Uh, Simons needs to improve his playmaking. Chauncey Billups has also said that and is seemingly working with him on that. So <laughs> my whole evaluation of a CJ and Simon's backcourt off the bench. It seems like Chauncey Billups is saying a lot of the same things that I was saying last year in regards to that. So, And the part I, about I feeding it to Mello, I mean... Yeah, I didn't hear this. Well, I, everyone knew that's what we were doing with our second unit, and... What was the, what was the quick quote? What did he say on that? Because I didn't hear this quote from Quick. I didn't read this. I don't have the quote either on me. Um, maybe someone can put that in chat. But um, uh, I was frustrated with the way Mello was used last year, um, and I I just think that's such a horrible disservice to everyone in that lineup. The way we played basketball with our second unit. Um, especially when CJ was hurt and didn't, wasn't a part of it. But, uh, um, yeah, I, even if you're going to do that force mellow in the post, there's so many more things we could have done to make that better. Um, instead of him getting the ball, like 15 feet from the hoop, like we could have set screens to make it closer to the basket or done something. He could have had some action off of those screens instead of all four guys, just watching him post up and take three dribbles and turn around and shoot a bad shot. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, I get frustrated 
just hearing that that's literally our game plan um, was just the like, oh, Nolo save a second unit because no one else was going to do anything. Thank goodness we're done with that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so glad to be done with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just boring basketball and infuriating, dude. Just fade away 15 footers without even trying to get anything else, and that was our offense. Uh, just bad basketball. So, I mean, I know, I know there's some people out there that think it's the best basketball possible to shoot a bunch of fadeaway 18 foot long twos with a hand in your face. You know, it's just cool, go mellow, right? But no, nah, it's not good basketball. Sherman asks, how often do you think you'll, we'll see Roku at the four and Nance at the five? It's going to be situational. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, it's going to be situational. It's hard to say. Depends on health, depends on how well Zeller's playing and or Nurkic is playing and or Roko is playing and or Nance is playing. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. that, that whole thing is super fluid. It's it's hard to say. I think we'll see it a bit, but I don't think it's going to be something where we see it every game. Right. So we'll go big when we need to. We'll go small when we need to. Yeah, we kind of had to do it by necessity <laughs> since we didn't really – when Giles and Nurk were down, um, and then again when Giles was healthy, they didn't bother playing him at all. But uh, we kind of had to for a while go small last year, and it was okay. Um, I don't think it really was that bad, but I, I just don't like being small like by design. I like just doing it situationally, like you said. Um, but I have no problem going to that lineup if we need to. I think that it'll. That's a really good small ball lineup if you have those two guys as your four and five in those situations. Yep, and uh, we'll we'll see it if like one of our big men go down. You know, mm-hmm. um, if like Nurkic and Zeller go down, I would think about starting Nance and Roko with the four and five, and then staggering them and have Nance be the backup five. Maybe you sprinkle in a little Marquis Chris here if here and there if he's on the team, but we have two really good small ball fives the problem is roko doesn't rebound super well so you have to gang you have to gang rebound when he's in the game at the five um you have to try and control the boards better than we did last year when roko played the five but i mean that could give teams a lot of trouble if you had roko and nance rotating at the five mm-hmm. and then you know you have a tony snell and you have an Asir little and you have a simons and i mean it's just that's interesting I think that's why they're not super concerned with a third string center because they feel like they'd be fine in those situations. But I feel like if you're going up against like a legitimate big, mm. you you want to have a third string center, right? In case you're going up against like a legitimate big that you got to put a bigger body against. I agree. I'm just trying to get like what yeah. they'd be thinking I if mean, that does happen. They keep either Quick or Dennis Smith and don't keep one of the centers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Um, maybe one more. I mean, we do have Greg Brown. Aeromancer says, what about putting Greg Brown in at the five if we lose Nurk and Zeller? He's just a four to me. Yeah, um, I agree. He's he's not a three. He's not a five. He's a four to me. <laughs> like, yeah. just kind of very – like, he slots in very well at the four. He's not like a like, Thomas Robinson right. who has the skills of a center, offensive skills of a center, but the, you know, the height of a power forward. Like, Greg Brown can – Play, I think four is definitely where he projects, and it's not like putting him at the five is going to be a bigger body than 
Rocco or Larry Nance Jr.? I think, yeah, short of him putting on weight to where he's like Isaiah Stewart size, um, I don't, I don't see him playing center. Yeah, but it is a name that we got to throw out there as mm-hmm. an option. Yeah. Um, one more good question, <laughs> Watford. Yeah. I mean, he can play. That's the thing. I don't know. We got a ton of forwards, that's, though. That's why someone had a good point earlier that they were surprised. I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, but someone said they were surprised we didn't have use one of our two ways on a center. That way it wouldn't matter because we'd have, you know, a, an emergency center at all times on the two way. Um, so, yeah, that kind of that kind of sucks that we we used it on. Blevins, well, we but... ha- you know, we just had to sign. Had to sign Kel- 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 Kelv. Kelvin Bledgens. Um, <laughs> uh, one more good question. Yeah, hit that like button, by the way. Let's. Uh, we never ask for it, but since Zach is asking for it, uh, appreciate it, Zach. What kind of candy was I? I was eating some. I was eating Lifesaver gummies. <laughs> I was just in the mood, man. Work work was not the best for me today, so I was just like, screw it, let's get some gummies. I like gummies. Not CBD gummies, I don't do that, but uh, Lifesaver gummies. That, Skittles gu- Okay, Skittles gummies are insanely good. That was not the last good question, too. <laughs> that was la- what do you mean? That was a great question. No, it was a good question, but... <laughs> One more good basketball question. Randy says I'm missing out. Scott Brooks main role assistant coach (laughs) (laughs) I don't get that question Um, I think it's going to be like game management um, like uh, helping Chauncey like use his timeouts correctly um, if he feels like he's not doing that uh like, I don't know, little stuff like that. Um, yeah, he'll help Chauncey coach. Yeah. Because he's the assistant coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's here's one more good one. And maybe I might rephrase this, but Rom said, would you ever consider starting Nasir over Rocco? I would phrase it like, do you see, is there any chance Nasir is good enough that you would consider that this season? This season... I find that hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking in a few months, like Nasir is better than Rocco, uh, what a good problem to have, I guess. <laughs> but um, I would, I would almost think that would be at the expense of maybe switching the three guard lineup around and having one of those guys come off the bench, uh, or it, is, or it makes it easier to trade one of them. Yeah. And maybe it makes it like here's the thing: if you're trying to trade for a Siakam, if Nasir breaks out, like if you were trying for a Siakam, you'd be moving Roko to the starting three, right? Which is more Nas's position. Nas is more of a three. Roko's a little bit more of a four. Um, not saying Nas can't play the four, but Roko's more of a four. If Nasir's having a great season. It may make it easier for the Blazers to part with Rocco for a legitimate power forward. Because obviously Norm is sliding down from the three to the two, mm-hmm. right? The thing is, with all the Siakam trade ideas we have this past offseason, it was, okay, you trade for Siakam at the four, and then you start Rocco at the three. But if Nas is, like, legit, 
then you just start Dame, Norm, Nas, Siakam, Nurkic. And that's your starting five. So I wouldn't say that it would be a situation where we'd start Nasir Little over Rocco, but if Nasir is really good this season, it might make it easier to start or it might make it easier to trade Rocco out. Uh, I don't want this to happen, so I hope no one takes it this way. But the other possibility is trading Norm after December 15th. And that good contract. Uh, but then you you talk about trading Norm and Roka together. Uh, that's, what, $30 million? So you're looking at a max contract you could bring back for those two guys like, if, if we're playing. Teams? I don't know. I'm just saying uh, Philadelphia Ben Simmons. <laughs> if, would you want to do that trade for no, Ben Simmons? No, I, I would not. I do not want Ben Simmons, but... Can you imagine if we got Ben without trading? Yeah. <laughs> trading CJ or Dave? I got to disagree with you, Rom. Rocco's defense is not overrated. It's not. Um, yeah. Uh, Rocco's better at this point. His off-ball defense is uh, elite. Absolutely elite. He's just not a guy that you throw on, uh, you know, a Trey Young or whatever. In terms of guarding forwards, I think he's fine on the perimeter one-on-one. He's just not a guy that you throw on guards. So, you know, people will say his on-ball defense or his point-of-attack defense is is not that great. I feel like it's a bit underrated off-ball. He's elite. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing is, like, most of the time he's going to be playing off-ball defense. You have four defenders playing off the ball. You have one playing on the ball most of the time. So, unless you're trapping... Or unless you're Terry Stotts and just refuse to play him. <laughs> yeah, zero on-ball <laughs> defenders and five off-ball defenders. <laughs> um, so, uh, he's still one of the best defensive forwards in the league, in my opinion. He's just not your prototypical, like, throw him on a Trey Young and he has a chance to lock him down. And uh, I don't know if Rolf's an analytic guy or not, but if you look at defensive impact last year from Rocco, it the stats are quite eye-popping considering how bad we were on defense. <laughs> like, he was very impactful on that end, even though it seems like no one was on our team. Yeah, one near the top of the league in deflections. and Yeah, so I feel like Rocco doesn't get enough love. Um, I don't know. Nas has the chance to be a really good defensive player. We just haven't seen that yet. It's kind of hard to... It's kind of hard to determine what he is defensively at this point. Like, that's kind of a... We're in wait-and-see mode as far as that. I just think... Yeah, if Nas Nas has a really good season, it makes it easier to make a splash at the deadline. Um, And Norm Norm and Rocco for Ben Simmons is what Eric is throwing out. (laughs) I'm not... See, I don't know. There might be other players. Because I would say Siakam, but... Then you're trading Norm back to Toronto. That's whole weird dynamic. But maybe there's a different. Maybe that's a three way. It's just, but it's just like if you're trading Norm and Rocco, how are we improving our defense? Well, this is this was assuming Nas stepped up to the point where he was worthy of a starting spot, and then we yeah. get like a Siakam level player back. So, but like, would 
Breakout Nas and Siakam be better defensively than... I guess it would be better defensively and bigger defensively than Norm and Rocco. Offensively, yeah, I guess that would be a little better. So, yeah, I guess. I just... I have a hard time seeing teams want Norm over CJ. Well, I mean, 18 million versus 30 million. um, Locked up four more years. Which yeah, I think CJ is too, just, but or three more at least for CJ. But yeah, I don't know. Assuming Norm's averaging like set eighteen He's points per game next year or whatever. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you're right. Once he becomes eligible to be traded, I mean we we haven't discussed this all off season because he's a free agent. So unless it was a rare sign and trade situation, it wouldn't have happened. And now that he's signed, he's not eligible to be traded till a certain well, date, but. Once that date passes, then everyone's available to be traded, and that's a a good value contract where you could actually get something in return if some of your other players are ready for a bigger role. Man, that must be what Maury is rating for. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, Stephen A. Smith messed up saying CJ Rocco and picks is actually Norm Rocco and picks. Uh, once Norm is eligible, be traded. Everybody said. Oh, he won't make a splash for Ben Simmons because he won't trade CJ McCollum. <laughs> it would it would be kind of funny if it ended up like he made the splash for Ben Simmons and kept CJ McCollum. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I don't I don't want Ben Simmons. Um, I'm actually mad that you brought him up right when we were about to <laughs> sign off. Yeah, but. <laughs> just 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 no man those that it's get it gets worse by the day and i didn't want him in the first place yeah that is going to be the story of the season until something is resolved there though um not necessarily for the blazers but the nba in general that's going to be the main storyline so what's your prediction for that well romp i want your prediction for that hopefully you're still in here as our resident sixers fan uh eric what's your prediction so in most cases, I think once you start losing game checks, you'll report, right? Mm-hmm. But I kind of believe Simmons that he's he's locked in to not not ever playing for them again. So um, I don't think he's going to show up. I think he's going to sit out the entire year if he has to. So, so you don't think he gets traded? Well, I'm just saying, like, like, I want your, like, prediction. Well, see, here's what I think is going to happen. Philadelphia, their only chance right now, if they don't trade him, is to hope that he changes his mind once he starts losing checks, right? But I don't think Ben's going to do that. So what's going to happen, I think, is it's going to drag into the regular season. Maury is going to hope that at some point Ben and Clutch come to the table and um, be like, okay, we were wrong, like, we want to play, whatever, like, we don't really want to, but you're giving us no choice here. Um, But I think, I don't think Simmons is going to do that. So I think they're going to be forced. uh, I don't know if they'll wait till the trade deadline or not, but I think it's going to be at least a few weeks to a couple months into the season before he's traded because I think the pride is too big from the Sixers front office to just trade him for pennies on the dollar right now and i think uh ben's pride is is too big to show up to camp even if he's losing money so i think they're just gonna hope the other person's bluffing at some point 
but I think it's going to drag on to the regular season uh, for at least a while, kind of like the Harden situation last year. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll – yeah, the Harden situation, Jimmy Butler situation yeah. back when he was in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. That's also my prediction, and then I think he ends up getting traded to whichever team he – whichever team starts slow. Like, whichever team might be interested in him that starts the season slower than they expected. If Minnesota starts the season struggling mightily, then I think he ends up there. If Sacramento starts the season struggling mightily, then I think he finds his way to Sacramento somehow. You know, who knows? There's multiple packages that the Kings could work for him that might work. You know, I've tossed out De'Aaron Fox as a guy that I think... um, you know, just a straight-up one-for-one trade might make some sense for both teams. But if it's Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton, that's still a pretty good package. Um, maybe Denver, if they start off the season struggling and don't want to wait for Jamal Murray and just want to go with a bunch of forwards next to Nikola Jokic. And, you know, Simmons can play point guard at 6'10", so maybe you just try and get four switchable defenders next to Jokic. That could be something intriguing that they might try and do. Uh, they got Aaron Gordon. They got Michael Porter Jr. at small forward at 6'10". So you add Simmons and we need one other guy there. But, I mean, Denver is a dark horse team. And I still, dude, I still feel like if there's going to be a shocking deal, it's going to be with Cleveland. Yeah, see, I don't see Philadelphia taking Love's contract, which makes it really hard for Cleveland to make a deal. Um, and I don't know. I feel like if they wanted Sexton by now, they would have gotten him. Um, I same. I'd say the same thing with Minnesota. I feel like they've give, they've gotten Minnesota and Cleveland's best offers, and they're not good enough because they don't have the type of players they need. Um, Sacramento is the wild card that has decent fits in terms of players, um, whether it's, uh, you know, Buddy Heald, like we mentioned, uh, Halliburton, um, uh, Davion Mitchell, I think would be good in Philadelphia. Uh, I, I think they have pieces that could fit that mold, but I don't think Sacramento at this point is willing. So out of all those teams, I think if they got off to a really bad start, then maybe, they blow it up, like you said, um, but I don't see those other teams increasing their offer just because they get off to a bad start. Philly, I just agree with you because Philly's going to have to come down to something, right? Like, they're what they're holding out for now, I don't think they're going to be holding out for the same exact package a month into the season if Ben Simmons isn't playing. But I think between Sacramento, San Antonio, and if there's any mystery teams, getting like a... Deontay Murray or, uh, like I said, a, a Buddy Heald or a Her- uh, Halliburton or whatever. I think that's better than any of the packages that Minnesota has to help uh, or Cleveland has to help Philadelphia what they need because they need players that will help them now. They're not looking – I know Maury said he wants the Harden type I mean, package, but he wants he wants like – Guys who win now and a bunch of picks too. Like um, Sexton helps them more than Dejounte Murray does, though. Uh, okay. They yeah. they they don't they need a guy who can create off the dribble from the yeah. perimeter in a guard. Like they don't they have a bunch of great defenders. You know what I mean? It's just like they need a guy who 
kind of plays like Colin Sexton. Most teams would probably be better off with DeJounte Murray, but not the Sixers, in my opinion. They need a CJ type, oh, yeah. or if if things get bad enough, then a Sexton type. You know what I mean? And I don't like Colin Sexton's game, but he's 24 points per game, four and a half assists, can create off the dribble. You just have to get him to buy into playing a less selfish brand of basketball. Yeah, I think right. Brock... Uh, as Aramand points out, Brogdon's better. I would rather have Brogdon if I'm... Indiana's Indiana. another team. If Indiana starts slow. Yeah. If Indiana starts slow, which is very possible, then Brogdon maybe. I put them in that category. So yeah, if you... If if Philadelphia is going to settle, I think it would be for like Brogdon and picks or like I'm, I think they'd have to include something else. But you know, that, that kind of deal. Versus... Yeah, I just think at this point, like that's a, that's dependent on how Indiana starts. Like if Indiana starts well, then they probably would be less likely to do it. Yeah. If they struggle, then they'd be more likely. So I'm not predicting Cleveland. I just think if there'd be like kind of a surprise team. I mean, they've been linked to them, so it's not that much of a surprise. But like if you're... Like, you have Ben Simmons on the books. I know he's not getting his game checks if he's not playing, but it's like you technically have a guy on a max contract that's not playing for your team. I don't think they'd be that against Kevin Love's contract. They probably wouldn't want it, but to make it work, it just depends on how they view Sexton, which is a polarizing guy. I just feel like Maury would be the type to, like, trade for a Colin Sexton and then be like, yeah, we got an all-star caliber player back for him. He averaged 24 points per game last year. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I could also um, see Maury going for Garland instead of Sexton and just going <laughs> up upside there. Yeah, that's what, dude. That's what he needs. Yeah. Garland would be freaking awesome for them. But they don't want love. I don't know. It'd be hard to get. I mean, but if you can get Darius Garland, dude, I'd rather have Darius Garland than I than Colin Sexton. I mean, what if, what if you get Calvin and Deontay Murray? Dejounte. Dejounte, yeah. I like the way you said that. Um, they need a guard that can create their own shot. Mm. And Kelton is, I don't know, Kelton's a three. Uh, he can create his own shot, though. But it's like they need a lead perimeter guy. Yeah. And I don't th- like, Darius, Gar- Darius Garland last year is, is 17 points per game, 17.4 points per game, 6.1 assists per game. In 33 minutes per game, shooting 45% from the field and 39.5% from three. And he is still only 21 years old. Yeah. I mean, you. he should be a 20-point-per-game guy this year, right? Like, just if he improves a little bit, per 36 last year, he was a 19-point-per-game guy. Like, he should be a 20-7 and seven guy this year. And maybe he's not because they have more talent there in Cleveland. Maybe with bad stats on a on a bad or good stats on a bad team. But like that guy has mm-hmm. all star, yeah, ability. Like he is the type of guy where if he was on a good team that was winning a lot of games, like if he got traded to, to Philadelphia, he'd be a dark horse all star selection next year for me because Philadelphia would be good enough, and he would I think become the second best player on that team. Yeah. So, like, if they could get Garland, they better well, do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. What What if they got Murray and Kelvin and then traded Tobias for CJ? See, we ain't doing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, well, if they would get their guard. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You, but 
hell no, we ain't doing CJ for Tobias. <laughs> I, like, I, I would have done it in the offseason, but now it's just like, nah. No, thank you. Let's see how this works, man. Mm-hmm. We're too, like, CJ's in training camp. Like, yeah. I don't know. We're too into things right now to just make a lateral move. I agree. So, yeah. Anyway. um, yes. Anything else you want to touch upon with the Simmons thing or just for the stream in general? No, uh, the other stuff... Uh... I don't really want to talk about the other storyline right now, so probably just sign off. The other storyline. Well, the Simmons thing is like one, and then I'd say one A, and one B is the oh yeah, I mean the uh, few stars that are choosing. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it because got all these people. Yeah, you got you just got all these people, man. You just got all these people. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, that's gonna wrap up this episode of Blazers Up Rest Live. Thank you for joining us. Next Monday, on this channel, we will have a post game show. Let's go. It's about that time. Woo. So, make sure you join us. We're gonna talk about Dennis Smith Jr. and his twenty three points and eight assists performance. In the yes, first preseason sir. Game. It's going to be Harry Giles 2.0 at the guard position. Anyway, yeah, excited for basketball right around the corner. I know you guys are as well. We will have you covered with preseason postgame shows right here on Blazers Uprise Live. I dropped a Nas player preview. I'm going to drop a Zeller one. Um, I just need to finish editing that one up, and I'll continue to drop those. I'll probably finish them up. Maybe after that first preseason game, I'd have to drop about two a day at this rate. So, I don't know. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but uh, I'll keep them pretty much daily at this point. If you haven't seen the Nas one, I enjoyed making that one. Go check it out. Uh, And if you've missed any of the other ones, go check them out as well. Website article tomorrow, maybe? Uh, Yes, should have one in the next day or so. All right, yeah. So, we'll tweet that out on Blazers. I can't talk. We'll tweet that out on the Blazers Uprise Twitter page, at Blazers Uprise YT. So definitely go check that out when that article drops tomorrow. Uh, that's the tentative release date for... I don't even I don't even know what the article is, to be honest. So we'll wait and see. Well, I'll be surprised, just like you guys are. Uh, Eric's handling that. So can't wait. Uh, other than that, anything else left to plug on the outro? No, thank you everyone for watching. It's been fun, as always. And we'll see you next time. Yep. Until then, have a good rest of your night. As always, peace out. Go Blazers.